it's March Madness every weekend. And here's the thing. Everybody's looking at March Madness. Not everybody's looking at Segunda Liga in Spain. Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week it's a pleasure to welcome aboard Timothy Lawson, the host of The Better Life, a podcast that brings out the fun in all things gambling. Tim's also a big craft beer fan in his own right, so we bring the hops to the forefront of our conversation. We also talk betting the NFL, as well as soccer, where Tim's carved out quite the groove for himself. And to bring the gambling talk full circle, we also touch on Tim's three favorite casino games. One housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation, if you want picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the quick pick section for free over at dimers.com. You can find a link in the show notes to see where you want to get down on the Dimers Bot's biggest edges. And now, enjoy this week's conversation with the man leading the better life, Timothy Lawson. Timothy Lawson, it's been a long time coming, but welcome to Props and Hops. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's it's uh, one. It's great to see you. Uh, We've uh, we got to see each other once a person. Have interacted since uh, virtually, and two. It's an absolute honor to be on a show that features so many people that I look up to, right? That I admire in this space. So I'm, I'm privileged to be uh, in the, in the same rankings as them. Love to hear it. Well, I think the listeners are in for a treat with this conversation. And before we get into all things betting, I knew I had made the right choice to ask you on when I did, when the first response I got from you was quote, I'll have the hops ready. (laughs) So on that note, Tim, what do you got in your hand right now? What are you drinking? We need... Ooh, nice sound. Yeah, how to? You know, I mean, I, I mean, is it really? I mean, no one can, no one else can taste it. They should at least hear it, right? Um, I have what's called Fat Boys. It's a, uh, it is a West Coast style double IPA by Vanish Brewing, out of Leesburg, Virginia. Now, I've never actually had anything from Vanish. I wanted this to both be. Uh, I wanted to both represent my area of Virginia, the D.C. area, and I also wanted to try something new. Love it. All right. You are going the hoppy route, as am I. I'm three hours behind, so not quite as potent, but I am going <laughs> with a hoppy pilsner. Very good. Timbo Pills. Okay. Um, a few breweries out here in Southern California have done what they call a hoppy pilsner. It's essentially a pale ale, but somehow they just keep it super light in both color and body. It is so crisp, but still gives you that nice hoppy flavor. In fact, this one clocks in at 5.8% IBV. It's almost IPA strength. But Highland Park Brewery out here brands it as a West Coast-style Pilsner with mosaic hops. I can't wait to dig into it. Got a fresh batch. There we go. So, Tim, cheers. Cheers, my friend. All right, as we get working on these beers we've got going on, enjoying the hops side of props and hops right out of the gates here, tell me a bit about your journey as a craft beer fan. Yes, so 
uh, I uh, I was in the Marine Corps a long, long time ago, and I remember I was in Lima, Peru, and I remember the commissary at the embassy at the embassy there had a had a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, right? And this this is the this is the gateway beer for so many people, right? Um, and I remember. Uh, I can't remember if it was this beer or if it was having a Mirror Pond Pale Ale from Deschutes Brewery when I came back home. They kind of they're, they're simultaneous. I, I can't remember which one I had first, but it was that year of my life that I started trying the pale ales, right? Um, and I remember having and just that hoppy sensation on my tongue. I was like, "Oh, that's that's nice. I like that." And then I get out of the Marine Corps. I moved to Sacramento. Lagunitas was just, you know, sort of coming up. All, all all the West Coast beers that we consider staples at at the bar were still craft were still real craft beer in that you had to kind of look for it in a lot of ways, right? It was a big deal if someone carried this. Uh even Stone back then. And so I and this is when IPA like getting a Imperial IPA was a big deal, right? Like triples was so far like no one was even thinking about having a regular rotation of beers that was that, um, you know, that frequent and that hoppy. And I became a hop head immediately. Like I, I can, you know, I can enjoy a P, uh, a PBR as much as I can enjoy a nice hoppy beer, but like I'm a hop head, uh, the whole way. Um, I, you know, I can enjoy the gamut of beers, but, uh, when it comes down to what I want to have on a, on a, on a night where I'm just sort of relaxing or have a beer to myself, I go straight for the for the uh, the dippers and the trip the tippas uh, at my local beer store uh, and let the let the hops punch me in the face. Yeah, those double IPAs and triple IPAs can be dangerously drinkable these days with just how smooth they go down, despite some pretty potent ABV. But it's interesting to hear that right off the bat, when you got exposed to the hops, you were in on it. I mean, clearly, as the name of the show would indicate, I would identify as a hop head myself. But you mentioned Stone Brewing, and I grew up in their backyard down in San Diego. And the first few times I tried it, it was some pretty intense work just trying to get, you know, one of those beers down. And over time, I found it to be an acquired taste. But I gather that for you, it was almost more a case of love at first taste. Yes. I mean, try, I mean, when they came out with Palette Wrecker, I remember like that was a tr- that was an experience, right? Like drinking a bottle of that or a can of that was like that would be half of my night would be sipping this and like every now I'll have a triple IPA from a brewery that I'll mention later. Uh, and you know, I could have two, three cans in a night if I'm, if I'm, you know, aspiring to, to get that, uh, that teeth into it. Right. And it's just so funny how the evolution of beer, beer palette, and just sort of my own, uh, evolution as a beer drinker has gone from double IPAs being a little much to triple IPAs being very drinkable, um, in a lot of circumstances. And, you know, Stone, um, you know, I, it's funny, they don't, they, Stone hasn't reached the, the, like, Goose Island is always the beer I make fun of, of being, like, the I, the go-to IPA for any restaurant or bar or anything, and I'm sure out there, there's a, there's probably, um, log, it's probably Lagunitas and Stone, maybe Sierra Nevada, some things like mm-hmm. that. Stone hasn't quite gotten there for me, but, like, I don't I don't go for the stone IPAs like I used to anymore uh primarily because I think the standard IPA 
I mean, that's just that's for me. That's just come and gone, right? There's just not enough for me anymore. Uh, very rarely does a single normal IPA deliver the way that I want an IPA to deliver anymore. Uh, and you know, they've be, you know, I for this is a horrible term. I I apologize to Stone right away. They've become grocery store beer, uh, right? Like they their mass production. I don't know if it's because I've tried so many things or if anything's ever, but like it doesn't. I don't have the same experience in drinking a Stone IPA anymore like I did ten years ago, right? Um, but I will say they have they have a beer called FML Fear Movie Lions. Uh, I know everybody thinks it's called something. It's called Fear Movie Lions because there is there is like this weird mapping system that maps ev- uh, every three by three yards of of land everywhere and labels it by three words. And they have a they have a brewery, brewing tank at their brewery down here in Richmond that falls in this square where the three words to describe that geolocation is Fear Movie Lions. And so they created a double IPA called FML because we all, FML, it brings something else for everybody, you know, uh, but it's actually called Fear Movie Lions. It's a double IPA. It's very good. It's probably my favorite thing out of, out of Stone right now that I can get here on the East Coast. Well, you clearly know what you're talking about when we get into the hops. And this is not the end of the beer conversation, but we can definitely weave in the sports as well and kind of parallel path things as we move along. And I'd like to turn the tables a bit on you when it comes to the better life rite of passage question. You've asked this to a lot of guests. I know a lot of listeners might not have heard your answer yet. How would you describe your first exposure to the world of gambling? Yeah, so I mean, I I really was sort of fascinated by casino gaming and gambling. The idea that you could like by chance or by luck, you know, gain you know money or assets or whatever. Just that whole that whole uh, environment fascinated me. And I've really you know since starting asking this question, I've really tried to think what is like my earliest exposure. I think when I was really really young, like I'm sure my dad played blackjack or poker with me, stuff like that. But the, the the moment that I think of the most on this and where maybe it triggered something in my brain um, was I coming, I had to have been like eight or nine or 10 coming away from a little league basketball game. And my dad's friend grabs a basketball. He turns to me and he's like, uh, what you got on this? A quarter dollar, $5 and like shoots it. And I don't, I don't know what he's saying. Right. I'm like, what do you, what is he talking? And he misses it. My dad's like, Hey, you could have made five bucks. And then it, I was like, Oh, really? That's what was happening there. And, you know, uh, fast forward, you know, 30 something years of my life and I'm down, you know, how many, how much ever money I'm gambling. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about as far back as it goes. But I remember, you know, I used, I had the Golden Nugget 64 game, uh, you know, video game for the Nintendo 64. I had no what I, I didn't, I didn't know what any of these games were. I didn't know what craps or Baccarat was. I was just, I, there's something about the casino that just fascinated me. I used to have a, a, a rug, uh, in my room when I was a teenager that was like a roulette wheel, uh, you know, uh, table. And yeah, I don't know. It, it was something about it, uh, that really, really got me. And then I don't know where, I honestly don't know where my interest in sports betting came from. I don't even remember how I was informed that I could bet on sports. I just remember being in, uh, I was stationed. I had just gotten to uh, Marine Corps air station, new river in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And there was a Sergeant there and he was talking about sports betting. I was like, how and where do you do that? 
And that's when I got introduced to Bodog. That, that's right. Way back when it was Bodog. Um, that's when I got introduced. I didn't have one, but that's the first time someone explained what a credit account was to me. I didn't have a credit account for uh, uh, till much longer. But uh, yeah, that, that had to have been 2006, I guess. And yeah, with those two things sort of originating, you know, casino gaming, my interest there, but I didn't like, I didn't go into a casino and do anything other than play blackjack for, you know, most of my life. It was just like this interest that I like, I, I found the atmosphere and the, and the, the idea of casino gaming fascinating and sports betting came shortly after. So a few decades of experience across the full spectrum of gambling. I'm wondering if fast forwarding to today, how you would describe yourself as a better. Um, I, I think I first heard this from Drew, but I think he said he got it from someone else. I consider myself a rec plus better. I don't, I'm not as square as I used to be. Thank goodness. Uh, but I look, I still play craps, right? There's no denying that. And there's no, I, you can't, you know, as Einstein said, the only way to beat a roulette table is to steal money off the table, right? I, 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 you know, I know that I play these negative expected value games at face value. Now I've come to a point where the way that I play, you know, I can glean a little bit more from the casino and stuff like that. And there's a little bit of sort of a benefit to the way that I, I play deliberately and with purpose and what I think I can get back from the casino, but I'm still, I know it's still a negative EV game. Uh, but when it comes to sports betting and in, in a way that I sort of balance my negative EV enjoyment of casino gaming is with some positive EV sports betting. Now, I I do not envy anybody who does this for a living or tries to do this for a living because God knows I wouldn't be able to. But in the in the time that I have to to get into sports betting, it is my it is my leading hobby. It's when I'm not working or spending time with my family, I'm in the sports betting. Right, I I'm shopping lines, I'm looking at data, I'm uh, making my own opinions, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm watching uh, you know shows on Veasan and otherwise. Like that is my leading hobby, and you know it's been a long time coming, but I have found myself in a position where I am winning more than I'm losing. Uh, and it's it's enough to sort of, uh, you know, balance out the, you know, the house edge that I'm giving away in the casino. And then you pile it all together and it's just it's fun. And I have friends that do it, too. So it becomes a social enjoyment. Uh, it fulfills me personally. It's a cerebral exercise. So you, you, you put all that stuff together and sports betting uh, becomes sort of like this fin- this final piece that makes this hobby a a worth doing and not something that's just draining money. Right. Um, and that's, that's something that I've really enjoyed about, about sports betting now uh, is that I can sort of rely on it to, to, you know, keep my bankroll alive. I love the way you laid that out because clearly it's not this, you know, unrelatable, just grinding out edges and finding plus EV and, and winning all the time. You even if you enjoy things that you know aren't positive expected value, I'm reminded of a quote I believe Rufus Peabody dropped on the Bet the Process podcast, and I might have quoted this to you when I was on the Better Life. The only other place I remember saying it, but it comes to mind as you outline yourself as a better. It's not minus EV if you're having fun, and I think there's a time and place for everything. And at the same time, it's really cool that over the years you have gotten enough experience and knowledge as a sports better to maybe offset some of the losses that would come at table games where you know you're not going to win, but you're going to have a good time doing it. And there's plenty of value in that alone. With all that in mind, 
I'd be curious to hear what you might call, I don't know if the term is like your superpower or what you do best as a better. I know everybody's got their strengths and weaknesses. You clearly have a lot of experience that covers a lot of different faces. So what do you think you do best that you might be able to speak to that could add some value to listeners to try to work into their processes? Um, that's a great question. The two things that I think that I do best that make me uh, a you know, sports better that can maintain a self-sustaining sports better. The first is soccer. Um, I was sick of losing money to the NFL, which is, you know, the hype hyper efficient. Uh, I was not good enough at basketball or baseball. Baseball transformed so quickly. By the time I had thought I had figured out baseball, the game transformed and I like, I couldn't keep up. Right. There's new, there's new metrics that they're making up every day that I can, you know? And so I, I was, I started getting into soccer and I understood it well enough that I knew what the, I knew what the data represented. I knew, um, you know, there's more qualitative assessment to be done in soccer uh, than just the quantitative, but you have to know how to look at the quantitative to know if the qualitative is going to lead you somewhere. And it took a couple of years, uh, but there's just so much value to be had on a huge, you know, like this, this Saturday, there's going to be 30 or 40 games in England alone. Right. Like, uh, and, and that's just in England, right. Then you have the rest of Europe and then you have parts of South America, the United States soccer is coming back on Saturday. It's, it's March madness every weekend. Right. And you have a smart, like, and here's the thing. Not everybody's, everybody's looking at March madness. Not everybody's looking at Segunda Liga in, in Spain. Uh, not everybody's looking at, uh, you know, the Jupiter league in Belgium. And so you have this, this over this huge menu of of games you have data that can tell you about each game and it is really close to it's similar to basketball in that it is a team on team sport but you can you know you can quantify the value of a player and how he fits in that team well enough to know what adding and subtracting that player could or couldn't mean right and we and, and we're, you know we see that in basketball uh, we know that basketball analytics are, are have gotten to that point. You can do you can do similar things in soccer. The second thing that I do well is I know which sports to just follow somebody on. Um, so like tennis is a great example. I know there's value in tennis. I know who can extract value in tennis. I know that I can't extract value in tennis, and so I follow the people who can, and then. When it comes to sports that, uh, when it comes to other sports, the NFL is the leading example. I take, I don't follow anybody blindly. I don't follow people for picks. I don't, but I take in everybody's consideration. I hear what everybody is saying about each team, even if they're fading a team. There's been times where I've heard someone like almost disguise a compliment with with talking bad about a team. It was like I can't. It was it was a week six or week seven. Uh, game. I think the. I think that. Um, um, I think it might have been a Bengals game. To be honest, it was someone was like trying to talk about why they were fading the Bengals, and there was like hints of optimism <laughs> built into it. And like you sounds start... like a classic Las Vegas Chris kind of move. What? Yeah, right. And I was like, I was like, this. Like, I understand where he's going, but he's actually kind of making a case for this other side. So I sat and I waited. The line moved a half a point past seven, I think, and and you know I took it and it ended up, uh, and 
not that I'm going to beat the NFL by reading between the, you know, between the lines or knowing how to read the, uh, the tea leaves, but in superficial markets like that, you learn to not just blindly follow anybody or look for just someone for picks. You don't even look for consensus picks, right? Cause you know, we know that the NFL is hard enough, hard enough to beat already long-term beating it short-term is unpredictable. You could, someone could have been hot last year and you could decide to fall in this year and they could, they could do poorly and it's not their fault. It's not your fault. It's just how, how the NFL and variance works. Right. So I have found that I can sustain, sustain myself in, and and this is just applied to the NFL, but it's the best example in these sports where I feel like I'm paying attention enough to have my own opinion, to hear hear what everybody else is saying, and let that inform ultimately what what I decide to do. If that that makes sense, I don't know why I, why I said if that makes sense because it does make sense. But yeah, it makes all the sense in the world to me. That's that's a similar approach to what I take. I love the idea to just take in as much information as possible. Try to apply your own personal filter. And while not following anything blindly, you know, give weight to what other people are saying and the power of having an open mind. I mean, just in sports betting and in so many walks of life can go such a long way because it's, you know, unfortunately quite rare. But the benefit is, I think, when you can exercise an open mind, then that opens up all kinds of doors that not enough people have available to them. So might as well take advantage where you can. Yeah, I just admit it. I'm not going to beat the NFL doing this. Um, the, the point of it being when you're, you know, I'm built into a number of certain accounts, just, you know, if you do it, if you do it right, like BetMGM is a good example. If you lose a little bit there, they'll give you like deposit matches. It's not a lot. Like I'm a recreational player. I don't need, I don't need to get a whole, I don't need to get a whole lot down. Um, I just need to be able to sustain myself and, and do enough to, for it to be worth my time. But like, you know, when you're working with these legal operators, when you're only hitting 50 to 52% just under a term profit in these minus 110 situations, you look like a losing better and they're going to give you promotions and free bets and stuff like that. And those you can turn into positive EV situations. And anybody who watches Captain Jack's YouTube channel knows how to take advantage of those things more appropriately than their average customer, right? And you could have a credit account that gives you a rebate. You could have, um, you know, you could get bonuses on, on offshores, right? There are ways to, you know, turn that, you know, that, uh, that, you know, you don't have to be, look, you can't lose your, can't lose your ass on any of these things and expect to make it up in, in this sort of stuff, right. And in bonus and stuff. But, you know, if you're a couple points below even break, even there's so many benefits that people are giving you now just to keep betting with them that you can then turn that into, uh, you know, into a better situation and then put on, you know, stack on top of that, the games that you are good at. Now you're losing just a little bit with football. You're getting a little bit back with promos and you're keeping the account open because they do see a bunch of NFL and NBA stuff in there. And so while, you know, while I'm hitting them on the soccer first half team totals, all this arbitrary stuff, I had one account try to shut me down. He's like, I don't He's like, I don't even heard of these teams. <laughs> He didn't want to take my action because he was like, I've never even heard of these teams. Like, I don't like, but you know, most places keep that stuff open because they see a bunch of stuff during the NFL and they just assume that you're just killing time in the offseason until the NFL comes back around. Yeah. And I'll just give a quick shout out to Captain Jack Andrews' YouTube channel. You touched on it there, youtube.com slash Captain Jack Andrews. Um, so much good stuff. Uh, how to take advantage of promotions, how to do basically anything that an up-and-coming better would probably want to learn or further develop as part of their skill set. Can't recommend that highly enough. 
And you've touched a bit in the past few minutes on the NFL and soccer. I'd like to dig into both of those here. And in particular, we just saw the Rams win the Super Bowl, ending the 2021 NFL season. As you look back on things uh, with the Super Bowl, still pretty fresh in our minds, any top line takeaways from your betting experience this past NFL season? By the way, I apologize to the creep. My, my, my light decided to die. Uh, and so half my green screen is not properly. So. <laughs> Fortunately, most people will only hear this whole conversation. But if I take a video clip uh, about even odds as to whether or not the green screen is fully functioning. I was going to say, uh, hopefully this isn't the most profound thing I say this whole uh, <laughs> this whole podcast. Um, takeaways from the Super Bowl. Um, I think you actually said it best in uh, your last podcast, which you did with your wife. We were talking about the proposal, right? Like, why, why dabble into something that is so left a chance, right? Um, when you could, when you can make real analysis and real, you know, it's likelihood. But you know, what's the likelihood on someone proposing of the game? Who knows? Right, because here's the thing: the the likelihood of anybody proposing in any one at, at any one game can't isn't predict predictive on past games because like culture's different, right? People are different, right? And I'm not this. Is, it sounds like I'm trashing any of your bet. I'm just using it as it's, the as, it's worth all the trashing in the world. So feel <laughs> free to keep going. I just it was such a great example of you know I don't have any reason you like the more you talked about it, the more the more I felt like man it really is even though they could tell me it's never happened in any broadcast that is that really predictive to this pod or this broadcast. Right. Um, I missed it. I, I am, I will miss Tom Brady being in Super Bowls because my favorite prop bet to ever make was Giselle over one and a half brought uh, appearances during the broadcast. Uh, it lost one time that I bet it. And that was the last one. He was the very last one he was in. Uh, otherwise it was almost a lock and it was almost always at plus money or, or, or at low odds that you can, it, it is a little predictive, right? That you can look at past broadcasts and be like, yeah, they like going to Giselle. They like going to her at least once early in the game. And then if he does something that she gets excited, there's a good chance they're going to show her, uh, again. And the, the Super Bowl has so many tells going into it. And it's so it's so bad now because everybody's looking for the tell, and then they're telling everybody what the signal is. Right? Oh, I heard I heard a reference track, or I saw the set list, or you know, there's a list of stuff. But I remember uh, Joe Buck. This is this is barely answering your question, but you know, the green screen's out. It doesn't matter. Uh, the <laughs> uh, the uh, Joe Buck was on. This was uh, Falcons Patriots. Joe Buck went on Howard Stern. And Howard Stern brought up prop bets and he asked, Hey, there's a prop bet here asking if you'll say Matty Ice. And Joe Buck said, There's no chance I'm calling him Matty Ice. And I went and like the, the lines didn't move for hours, right? Hours. If that happened this year, like that, right? Like it would, it would like, because not only are sports bettors paying attention, everybody's paying attention, right? It's not just the sports betting podcast. It's not just the sports bettors tweeting stuff like that. Major news networks, every talking head is paying attention to every storyline or anything they can talk about is when it comes to this stuff. So the big takeaway is what we used to do. And look, anybody who's listened to, listened to like deep dive and stuff like that, they, 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 they said this coming into this, what used to work can't just automatically work this year because Everybody knows. Everybody's paying attention. I 
you know how many times I heard about how uh how like everybody was talking about the one uh uh um national anthem video that Guyton had uh on YouTube. Everybody was talking about it, right? There was no way, like, and and again, five, ten years ago, not everybody was talking about it because not everybody could talk about it, not everybody wanted it, it, it didn't matter to anybody. Uh so big takeaway on the Super Bowl. Uh there's there's always going to be opportunities, I think, in the sort of weird props like the broadcast stuff, the, you know, if if you can really think about it. But I think to your point that you made last uh on your last podcast, you I think you just really have to stick to the game and uh, you know, treat the Super Bowl like it's just it's just week, you know, twenty something, whatever it is, right? It's not it's, the Super Bowl isn't this grand isolated event uh, like that it was. And that's, that's a rec plus player talking, right? The Rufus Peabody's of the world will, I'm sure, will always find, well, not always, but I'm sure they're, they're smarter than I am. They can find uh, ways to keep playing it. Um, but, you know, for someone like me, you know, it's not as easy as hearing a podcast in the morning and then betting it that evening, right? And then you could used to be able to do that five, 10 years ago. Uh, you can't do that anymore. Uh, so, yeah, the Super Bowl, it's just another, just another, playoff game you got to treat it as such well said and as we consider the accumulation of all even 272 regular season games looking back at the season as a whole i think of one of the keys for me as a takeaway from this past season would be the power of bankroll management i mean we've all heard it but just applying it in new ways this was my best nfl betting season ever and it's not because i suddenly got smarter in any meaningful way or you know just suddenly had access to accounts that i didn't before nothing that profound changed i think the biggest thing was just doing a better analysis of you know my betting history tracking things and looking at okay i know that i'm consistently getting better closing line value and a better roi on full game sides than i am on totals so when i'm you know betting sides you know picking against the point spread this season, I placed more bets on sides than totals, and those bets were for bigger amounts. So sides returned a high single-digit ROI. Totals were a small loss. All out, it's a net positive. Kind of like your earlier point of, you know, if you're at a book beating them in soccer, but you're giving some back in football, just knowing your strengths and, and knowing how to lean into those at least a little bit more. Um, I found that to be just really cool, knowing it's not just a one-loss percentage that a lot of people like to look at, but, you know, staking the appropriate unit size for the type of bet that you're making can make all the difference. So as you look back at the season overall, were there any noteworthy takeaways from your side and total wagering? No, not from size and, size and totals, but the big, it ended up being a pretty good NFL season for me as well. Uh, not on sides and totals, uh, but with, Something I've something that I've done well the past few years is I eat for the past three years I have cashed a ten to one or long, was it ten to one I've I've cashed like some pretty long odds on division winner because of value quickly after week three or four um, and you know it you, you have to have plenty of accounts to find these anomalies where someone is way off because of either liability or just you know they have a bad uh, they're start you know, you're posting a bad number, but you know, I had under, I had under, I had the alt under on six wins for the Bengals, which seems foolish now. Right. I mean, after this, after that, I was, you know, like how dumb of, of a bet does that look like? Uh, and week five, it was clear. I was going to lose that bet. 
but they were 14 to one to win their division at one of my outs. And I quickly was like, that's not right either. Right. Like, you know, like I'm clearly wrong. Like, you know, they're clearly going to co- cover their, 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 uh, win totals. Uh, the rest of the division doesn't look great. No one's a clear winner here. 14 ones way too long. Uh, should I have, should it, did it deserve the cash? I don't know. They got lucky uh, in a few spots and unlucky in others. So maybe that was the case, but you know, being able to make that, you know, that switch in my head of they're not a team that's going to win more than six games to, I think they can win their division or this is worth that price. You know, you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to change your mind on a position when it's, um, when it's right. Um, and not just, you know, it's really easy to get stubborn, um, and your priors and your, uh, first thoughts on a team in, in both ways, right. But in thinking that a team is good and think and thinking a team is, is bad. And, uh, you know, without being overreactive to what you see in one or two weeks, being able to, you know, change, you know, I took over nine and a half, uh, win totals on them early in the season too, when it looked like I thought they were going to go on, like, I looked at their schedule and I was like, I think there's 10 wins here. Um, I got, I can't, I can't, I got them at like two and a half or three to one, uh, early in the season on that. So the Bengals, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed that, they, I mean, I'm happy for Drew. Uh, it's funny for, 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 for two separate or for two straight, uh, playoffs in a row, I have sweated a game off of what Drew's, uh, Calcutta investment has been, uh, it's funny. It's funny watching a game, knowing the sort of liability, uh, or asset that that someone else has uh, on the game, and sort of feeling that sweat for them. But um, I'm rambling a little bit here. Key uh, to answer your question: No one size and totals. Definitely yes in evaluating futures, long you know, uh, full season props, especially now that we can get season win totals after every week. Right, you can make those. Uh, you can you know you have to be able to quickly make an adjustment on how you feel about a team to take advantage of that. I think I'm going to take your takeaway on futures and run with it. And a quick bit of context, you've mentioned Drew a few times. Most listeners probably know exactly to whom and what you're referring. But Drew Dinsick, a.k.a. the whale capper, uh, is who Tim's referencing here. And he came on during the Super Bowl bye week. So that was uh, just a few weeks ago, if anybody mm-hmm. hasn't caught that episode yet. He had some good real-time insights as he was sort of sweating out his exposure on the Rams in a Calcutta beyond what he would typically bet in a game. All's well that ends well. He he definitely cleaned up in this year's contest there. But as far as futures go, that was one of one of my takeaways was that's where I need to be more disciplined when the excitement really hits this coming summer as kickoff gets closer, because that's an area where not only is there the opportunity cost, if you're betting futures before the season starts, you've got money tied up. If you're not betting on credit, which most of us probably aren't, um, you've got money tied up for six months or so. And then if you're not beating that market, I mean, I made some bets. I think I just probably got a little too excited. I did hear people say something that sounded good on a podcast, and I I just bet it. Maybe it was out of exuberance. Maybe there were some good bets that just got a little unfortunate. Mac Jones, Rookie of the Year, RIP. But overall got a negative ROI in the double digits on futures, plus that opportunity cost. Uh, lesson learned on that front. I like your point about looking at things mid-season. We can give Captain Jack another shout-out. He wrote a piece, maybe today, that was published on unabated.com outlining how to do a post-mortem on a season. And one thing he mentioned was changing his mind about how to approach futures. You know, he used to have that thought, like a lot of pros and charts do, where I don't want to tie up my money for that long, and if I'm not going to beat it by a lot, it's just not worth touching. But to your point, a lot of books now will update regular season wins, division odds, things like that each week of the season – 
So something that might not be worth betting preseason, you know, come, you know, early to mid-October, maybe there is a good opportunity and well played by you, not just being stubborn on your Bengals future and not just seemingly hedging to try to lock in a different position, but really thinking it through and shopping for a good number on that AFC North ticket that ended up paying off. I mean, finding that mid-season, I know when we talked in November, you seemed like you were maybe sweating out when it already looked pretty damn good, but glad to see that that came through. And uh, once again, I will take your futures insight and apply it to my own betting portfolio in 2022. Thank you. Um, Yeah, that was, um, that was good. Uh, on, on the other, the one prior that it worked for me is I had uh, the Vikings under nine or under 10 um, all win totals that uh, it's funny how uh, Hitman, uh, I saw him at Bet Bash and I told him about both the Bengals and the Vikings. And it's funny. This is, I mean, this is what's this funny about the NFL. He was like, oh, I like that Bengals bet. Oh, I don't agree with that Vikings bet though. And then in, in the end, you know, like it's it just the, the NFL will make everybody seem smart, stupid, informed, uninformed. And I'm not saying that uh, Hitman is any of these things. I'm just saying the the it's funny evaluating a bet before like before a season and like almost grading it at that point, right? Being like, oh, that's a good bet. That's a bet. You're like, oh, I don't like that bet. And then like the complete opposite ends up working. Yeah, the NFL is a is a finicky, uh, um, um, yeah, finicky sport. I'll say it's humbling, if nothing else. And sometimes you just got to stick to it if you do have a process that you believe. And that might be my biggest takeaway this season. I'm fortunate to still have access to a couple of books that offer two team six-point teasers in the NFL at minus 110. Just keeping my fingers crossed for the next few months that those books will hold on to it come kickoff in you know August, September. But trusting the process. I mean, mid-season, I had a run of losing 18 straight teasers. It's if you flip a coin a thousand times, I don't know what the odds are that you'll get, you know, 18 consecutive tails. Nevertheless, still overall for the season, up 9% when we look at ROI. And I just, that's my moment. It's kind of like a light bulb moment doing that postmortem after the Super Bowl of, hey, even though there was that really rough dry patch for a while in the middle, it reminded me of looking at the stock market over the course of the 1900s. And the Great Depression is kind of a little blip on the radar. Of course, in real time, it's huge and and you can't escape that feeling. I know the, you know, the great recession, 08, 09, similar thing um, to a slightly lesser extent, but big picture, just trusting a long-term process. If you are confident that there is an edge there, just writing it out because at a certain point after losing eight or nine or 10 straight, some people might want to pull the plug and say, Hey, this just isn't working, but believing in the math and and knowing that in the long term that this has a way of sorting itself out. If you do have a true edge, if you pull the plug when things get rough, you're just going to miss, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel. So sometimes to your point, you don't want to get too stubborn if you don't have an edge, but a lot of it can come down to if you can consult the right people, um, just think about the numbers a little bit, just not acting scared. If you objectively bail because you think the edge is gone, that's perfectly fine too. But if you do your research and you think the edge is still there, just because you've come up dry a few times, you know, just because the hitman like the Bengals under and the Vikings over and Cam Akers over in the Super Bowl, you know, Losing a few bets doesn't mean he's not one of the best bettors out there. Right, and similarly, right. if you've got two team six-point teasers for minus 110 and you're teasing through three and seven, yeah, you'll go through some dry patches. Trust me, I lost 18 straight and still came out big-time positive over the course of the season. So trusting the process you know, doesn't always go down in flames like it has for the Philadelphia 76ers. With NFL betting, it can often be quite rewarding. Yeah, I mean, and he said it, it, it can be humbling, right? Like the, um, yeah, it's funny how 
I don't know if, if you have this. I'll 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 lock in a bet Monday or Tuesday, right? And then uh, you know, I'll, the op- the lines will open. I like oh, I like that. I make the bet. And then like as the podcasts start coming out and as the shows, people are on the other side, and it's like oh, and like I get stuck, right? Because like I'm not a professional, right? I I feel informed. I feel like I can. I feel like I made a good bet. And then like this, you know, this dissonance of do I respect the fact that four people who do this for a living or at least, cl- you know, or th- that are, you know, are much more successful than I am are on the other side. Do I buy off of this? Do I, is this, is this going to be one of those things where so many people like it? There's no way that it wins, right? One of those scenarios. Uh, it's um, that's the one thing that's interesting about the NFL is we have all week to second guess ourselves, to talk ourselves in and out of bets, to, make a case for one side or the other with basketball. I can make a bet in the morning and may not even listen to a, a lick of content by the time tip off happens it's because life happens. Right. Um, same thing with soccer. And there's, there's far less people talking about soccer. So there's a good chance that I'll make a bet and don't hear how anybody felt about it. until I listen like to something, you know, later that week. And in hindsight, I'm hearing they didn't like it, you know? So uh, the NFL, it, you know, college football is the same way where, you just have all week to drive yourself mad with wanting to make your own bets while also taking in all this content uh, about who likes what and why. And yeah. Certainly an art and a science, but you mentioned soccer again, and I'd love to dig into it because frankly, this is probably the sport that I know the least about when it comes to betting. (laughs) So I'm so glad to be able to tap into your knowledge. I like the team USA shirt you've got going as we record this. And you touched on it a bit earlier, but could you elaborate on, you know, the background that led you to discover soccer as a big advantage as far as your betting is concerned and what your soccer betting process looks like today? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. I can't, I have a hard time sort of pinpoint, uh, pinpointing, even like thinking about like, how did I just slide into betting on soccer? Um, all of a sudden I just was, uh, I, it, it definitely came from inspiration, you know, as you as you start to get good at like the derivative markets in big big sports, uh, prop bets, alt total stuff like that, you start thinking, oh, what other markets are there available to me? And I just happen to like soccer enough where I was like, oh, there's this whole other sport over there that you know the Premier League, notwithstanding, is kind of like one big derivative market, right? People really aren't paying attention outside of the top five leagues in in Europe and there's a lot of opportunity there. And so I started with, you know, sort of qualitatively looking at, at sides and uh, taking in a little bit of data to more and more, you know, digging, you know, finding who had what data, what's accessible, you know, what's something that, that's, that's consumer level, but something that maybe isn't as obvious expected goals is a big one, right? Getting good expected goals uh, data is, uh, is huge. Um, and, you know, sort of finding where I think the value is. And that changes. It's interesting. It changes from league to league to year to year, right? So where I think in, uh, you know, in Ligue 2 in, in France, that's a good, like, I think I always find, I feel like I feel like I find total uh, values on totals there. I find value on team totals in Segunda Liga. I find uh, first half money line uh, value, I feel like, in, in Juleper League. And um, and my favorite league to bet on is starting in, uh, today is the 23rd, it's starting in two weeks. 
It's the USL Championship. It's the United States' second-tier soccer league. There's 30 teams. No one pays attention to it except for maybe a few, like 10, you know, maybe like 20 or 30,000 people across America actually pay attention to this league. Um, and there's like just in, in this is the league that actually got me hooked into it because, you know, it's it's difficult to really uh, when you when you're, you know, looking at a bunch of leagues, it's easy to be like, oh, man, am, am I overextending myself by by looking at so many leagues? And so I keep it really simple. Right. I, I, I know which teams I like for what type of bets in which leagues and stuff like that. I try not to over I try not to look at the entire board. I look at situations based on what I know about the team. I do my due diligence and then I make my bet. And that's worked out for me. But with the USL, I like actually I watch the games. I pay attention to it almost as much as I would pay attention to the NFL. Imagine having an understanding on a league that acts like a prop market from 10 years ago. Uh, and no one's really influencing it, right? You can get the numbers you want, getting the getting the money you want, that's much more difficult. But um, that's kind of how this league and a lot of other leagues around around the world behave. And uh, it's, you know, my friends make fun of me for, for betting on soccer, tiddlywinks as they'll call it. Uh, but it's, you know, it's the reason why I can continue to bet the continue betting on sports right it's the reason why it's uh it hasn't drained me of of my money it's the reason why i can go to the casino as often as i do it's the reason i can go on gambling trips as much as i do is um you know i can find value in everyday games and future markets and and the rest and i i will admit that i got um fortunate early on uh i hit a couple big i had uh lil at uh 66 to 1 to wig to win uh league uh, last year which they did over psg um that was huge i had a whole city to win league one in uh in england uh at like five or six to one uh early on and i had that for i had even that's a shorter odds i had a, a very big position on it um so i've i've gotten lucky in some of those um um uh, you know, in those situations enough where my bankroll got padded pretty quickly that the learning curve what I got to do a little bit more in a learning curve. And a lot of it is, you know, I mean, if you, if you guys think it's fun looking at like reception props, uh, wait till you, wait till you get on three way money lines for teams that you've never heard of in towns that you didn't know existed. <laughs> uh, I mean, just recently, anybody who follows me on my, uh, soccer Twitter, bet the USL, uh, during this off season, I have been using it doing first half money lines. And we're talking about here's so you're not really much of a, of a soccer better. I don't know if this is something, this is something that trips up a lot of new people to soccer. The three way money lines are regulation time only, right? So if you're in a tournament where they may go into extra time, your wager is graded after the full, the regulation time ends. And I've, I have a lot of people that message it. It never fails, Matt. It never fails after the World Cup, after the Euro Cup, after any of these tournament style um, um, uh, games or games that are in this, these tournaments. You know, people have this bet that they think goes until the end like it does in any other sport. Nope, it stops after 90 minutes. And if there's still more game to play after that, that's a whole nother wager. Um, when you uh, when soccer is listed. The home team is listed first. This is another thing that people don't really realize, right? And especially if you're not if you're not into soccer and you're starting to bet on soccer, if someone just told you, "Oh yeah, I like the home, I like the home team on the money line," 
if you don't know that the home team's listed first, you're probably betting on the, on the wrong team because we're so used to the home team being listed second. Uh, and then, of course, Asian lines uh, will will confuse anybody who's never used them before, right? And that's having a bet possibly split between two results. Um, and you know, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, soccer betting does have sort of its own unique rules, styles, markets uh, as well. For as simple as I think the game is, uh, betting it can get a little confusing if you're not used to it. But uh, the opportunity's there. And if you like soccer, that's a plus, but uh, you don't have to, I think, to to do well in it. There's so much to what you just said. <laughs> so this might be doing it short shrift, but I think of one macro level and one micro level takeaway. Macro level, the willingness to zig where others zag. To your point, everybody's fixated on the NFL or March Madness or whatever it may be. And betting soccer doesn't mean you can't bet those other things. But don't turn a blind eye to soccer because that's where so much of the opportunity can be. You mentioned, you know, think of a prop market acting like it was 10 years ago and nobody's looking. That could be a potential gold mine. And something else more on the micro level would be paying attention to where you're getting your edges and which leagues. I mean, I think you mentioned in one league, it might be a first half money line. In another league, it might be a total or just different types of bets have different edges in different leagues. And I guess on that micro point, did you come across that by pretty thorough tracking of your bets or were you just seeing over time, hey, I'm, I'm winning a lot when I do this and just noticing a trend without having to do so much like day-to-day tracking? How did that come to light for you? Um, you know, uh, in the Venn diagram, probably right in the middle uh, of those two, two, two things intersecting, I think the the, oh, I think this is what's working here was the sig was like sort of the, the noise, if you will. And then I found the signal in tracking my betting, right? So I, uh, I started doing a lot better on tracking uh, by league and markets. And I think that was a huge turning point in understanding my betting was, you know, I have what my play is, then of course, I have I, and then I, ha- you know, I put down what league it's in and then what market I'm betting, right? And, and of course, you know, people are like, well, of course, you know, sides, totals, those all say, you know, I make sure that my, my spreadsheets um, is, is accounting for all that, right? So I have plus minuses on the markets. I have plus minuses in the leagues, right? I know if I'm doing well. Uh, and it's easy to think of like the NFL is one league, right? It's easy, you know, like it's easy, you know, to ca- keep track of, 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 that kind of stuff in these other sports, you know, man, I've, I've had days where I've had bets in 20 different leagues in a weekend. Right. And, and that may be a little, a little exaggerating, but it's not, not by much. Uh, and if you look at soccer as just a sport, you're going to misunderstand your success in this area, that area, whatever. You really have to remember that even though as American betters, we view as soccer as this alternate sport. um, the world sees it as multiple leagues, multiple different, uh, you know, look, let me just look in Europe. You have, uh, you have all these different, these big, uh, you know, leagues, and then you have the championship league and then you have your, uh, Europa league. And then England has its own four tier system, plus the FA cup, plus the, you know, like you have to be able to understand the differences where all this stuff is, or else you're just gonna, you're going to make, you're going to make a lot of blind shots that don't work. Um, and you're not going to understand why something's working or why something may not be working. And uh, yeah, so tracking league and markets uh, was the, and, and that's about as detailed as it really gets, right? When, uh, other than results, 
I don't really go when it comes to tracking my betting. I don't get much deeper than that. Those two signals alone sort of tell me what I need to know about how a market is behaving or and how I'm doing against it. Clearly, you know way more than most people when talking soccer betting. So getting maybe a little bit selfish here after you've outlined so much from the process standpoint, but with a lot of leagues starting up in the near future, any actionable angles that you have in the sites that might not crater your edge if you'd be willing to elaborate on them just a bit here? Um, yes. Um, so this one isn't, uh, this edge may be, it, might, it may have dried up, so I will mention it here. But this is it. So Brentford, which was uh, kind of a darling in the Premier League this year, at the beginning of this year, they had, they had promoted up in the Premier League. They were a darling uh, for a lot of betters. They'd succeed, they had some success early on in the season. And then they went like 12 straight games without winning a first half. They went like 16 of 17 matches with conceding the first goal in the match. And they just became an auto fade every single week. It was just, I would bet the, whoever they were, I would fade them on the money line in the first half. And I would, uh, if the number was right, I would bet uh, the other team to be first to score. Now, of course, the market caught up on first to score, but there was still really good first half uh, bets to be made, um, uh, you know, against them. That's caught up. The the proof will be in the pudding this week because they play another like bottom of the t- of the table uh, team. I think the, uh, I can't remember who they, Newcastle. I want to say they play. Um, I'm I'm fading them again because uh, as they say, you you can only you can only uh, fade a streak once, but you can ride it to the bitter end, right? And um, you know, it's one thing. This is something else that I in and this is tough in the NFL because it's such a small sample size of games. But in a, in a sport like baseball, basketball, even in soccer, we have, you know, in soccer, you have 40-something uh, games of the season. You know, let a team tell you who they are, right? It's easy to be like, oh, we don't follow trends. <laughs> I'm sorry. After maybe eight games, yeah, it's a trend that they're conceding the first goal of the match. After a while, they're telling me as a better, we're bad in the first 45 minutes, right? And being able to flip that switch in my head from this is a trend to this is actionable information, or at the very least, this team's telling me who they are. Not unlike a team that, you know, uh, lets te- teams come back in the games. Not unlike teams that, you know, you profile these uh, these teams in certain ways, and that's how you find edges both pregame and definitely in-game. Um, I think that uh, Toronto, Toronto FC futures have sort of come and gone. They were really uh, – how about this? LAFC um, just got – just in your backyard. So Los Angeles teams in the MLS are always inflated, right? They're they're line, they're the most public of public teams outside of like maybe Seattle and maybe Portland, uh, you know, those NYFC, stuff like that. But LA teams are always inflated. Um, they're parlay darlings for a lot of people. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, remember the heyday of Galaxy and stuff like that. Anyhow, LAFC, talented squad, but they just took on a new manager, uh, Steve something, and he was the he just came off of uh, managing the Las Vegas Lights, which is the USL team in Las Vegas, and they did not do well last year. He has a history of being an assistant coach for like mid-table teams in like Europe and stuff. He's fine, I'm sure. He's I'm tra- but like I don't think he's ready to manage a team that has this type of expectations. They're playing Colorado on Saturday. Um, 
it's good. Look, they should win. Uh, but Colorado's three to one on the money line. I think they're plus uh, plus point seven five on the Asian line for people who are tra- who understand Asian lines. Um, I'm taking Colorado on both sides, and I will probably not blindly, but I will look to fade LAFC the first maybe three to four games to see you know to catch the reality check that this new manager may have at a you know the expectations are high and when you get someone who uh who who doesn't understand or maybe can't live up to those expectations it is a reality check uh it could be turmoil early so uh we'll see if they you know if they squash colorado five nil then i guess maybe uh the manager doesn't matter the talent's gonna do it but um i'll be fading lafc for the first few weeks um assuming the as soon as the assuming they get inflated the way they should just off the fact that they got a new manager who i'm not sure is ready for the mls the notion of la teams being overrated by a betting marketplace resonates strongly with me it reminds me of i think a solid month-long fade of my alma mater the usc trojans when i was doing the house of yard podcast with david molinsky back in 2017 and yeah on house of yards i believe Four, if not five straight weeks, we bet against USC, uh, you know, ATS. And when they were heavy favorites, there was some money line value. Ultimately, that bottomed out. I'm amazed at how long the Pete Carroll heyday, the Reggie Bush hype train lasted. And I'm glad as an alumnus that, you know, Pete Carroll and Reggie Bush still tend to do something to move the needle for USC in 2022. Um, but from a betting standpoint, that value has been gone for a few years now, thanks to Clay Helton doing his thing and, and really bottoming <laughs> out the program. But I think sometimes there's it's all price dependent. But if you know what you're looking for and some teams are just overrated, the value in going the other way can be real. And you talk about Colorado being a three to one underdog. Something else that I think a lot of up and coming betters could take away is the acceptance and placing a bet that you expect to lose. That can sound so counterintuitive, but if they're a three to one underdog, that implies they should win 25% of the time. If you think they win a third of the time, that's some real value and you're going to bet it. And you know, you're still going to lose two thirds of the time, but being able to stomach those losses for how handsomely those wins will pay when they come through, that can make a huge difference in the long run. So I think you've established plenty of expertise, not only in the beer to kick off the conversation, but the sports betting we'd be remiss to not also touch on the casino gaming side of things. Yeah. I think you also know more about that than anybody else that I've spoken to on this show. So just to kick it off, which casino games do you gravitate toward the most? Uh, I think my three, my three favorite right now are craps, especially when I'm with, with friends. Uh, and then I like Baccarat. If I can find a squeeze game, that means a game where I can actually touch the cards. Um, and then uh, pie got poker. Are my, are my three uh, go to and for in um, the next question maybe why uh, craps is just uh, it's electrifying and anybody who's ever walked through a casino and heard a, a uproar from the craps table has always wondered I wonder what that's about right and it's craps is a lot of fun it's it's it can be electrifying when a table is going well it can still be fun when the table is choppy and in the right crowd um, a table can still be fun if things aren't going your way uh, if you have if you have a good fun crowd. Uh, so craps is really for for entertainment and being social. Baccarat for me is a great way to uh, really put in some hours at a table at a limit that is going to get me some attention from the casino. Um, so the difference to so I play MIDI Baccarat M I D I, which is different from Mini 
Baccarat. Mini Baccarat is what you see, what most people are going to see at a, at a uh, casino where the dealer deals everything, right? The dealer deals the two cards to the banker, the two cards to the dealer. They'll they'll deal the third card if necessary, and then the, ga- the, the game's over. I think that is absolutely boring. Uh, I don't so I, 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 I've always thought it was boring, but if you play MIDI and you usually have to pay more, usually you have to pay. I mean, the, the, the cheapest I've ever had a squeeze game fee is $25. And that was in uh, some corner of Iowa. Uh, otherwise you're usually going to pl- uh, play 50, sometimes a hundred dollars to get on a squeeze game for Baccarat. But the culture of Baccarat, the culture the casinos tolerate it. Right. So like the getting the cards, like I, I know you can't, I don't know why you can't say my hands, like pulling the cards to you. And then like, barely folding up uh, uh you know you like barely revealing one card and sliding it away and like like acting like you're upset or whatever and then barely and like they let you bend the cards you can't rip them or anything but like they let you bend the cards as you're doing because it it's a part of the culture it's a part of like the the customs on on like old school bar, old school but like on like the on you know traditional baccarat people like bend up the cards stuff like that and you can skip hands and it's not a big deal right you can be like i'll set this one out right they'll, they'll deal a hand um, and so you can, you know, $50 a hand is probably more expensive than anybody really wants to play, especially recreationally at a, at a, a casino game. But, you know, you do that for a couple hours and you find, you know, you, p- I only play banker cause it's the lower house edge. It's like 1.35% house edge, I think, um, it, which is, it's slightly better than the player, uh, player bet. I only ever play banker um i sort of arbitrarily sit down whatever i'll go to the bathroom if i'm at at, if i'm at a uh, casino with a horse track i'll run to the track to go make bets and stuff like this and you say i tip my dealer right so that way they're fine with it they don't mind right i always have dealer bets out there i'm always nice to the people in in it so there's a good chance that if you're not an a-hole and if you're having fun you're tipping your dealer you're, you're showing that you show appreciation you can go two, two or three hours at a box table, and assuming that it isn't nose diving on you, uh, you can, you can, you can put in a lot. The the system's going to have you sort of playing, have a higher theoretical than really what you were playing, um, and that can come back to you like in mailers and offers and stuff like that. And I go to these places enough where, you know, getting a free room and a dining credit and stuff like that matters, right? It means something to me. Uh, and then Pi Gal Poker is just a nice, fun, slow game. Uh, there's a lot of pushes, so you know it. it uh, you know you might not see every bet resolved, but you don't lose a whole. You, hopefully, you don't always lose. Uh, bets can push, and if you play face up Pi Gal, you can manufacture wins and pushes and stuff like that. And it's another like fun social game. Like it goes so slow that it's easy to have a conversation with someone without like being distracted by the game. So, uh, yeah, those are my three uh, casino games. Great context there. My follow-up was going to be any edges you'd recommend for novices. And you, I think you covered most of it as you elaborated there. I would throw out as a total amateur, but in craps, I believe taking odds on your bet can be like the one 50-50 bet in a casino that you can get. Maybe that's changed over the years or maybe that's wrong, but I believe I heard that and it checked out in my book. Anything else you'd recommend to people looking to, yes, have a good time and maybe just minimize the house edge a little bit so they can maybe last a little bit longer without overextending the bankroll yeah so i mean you're right so taking odds on a on a craps line bet uh, a line bet and craps is a the 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 payout on that bet alone is fair odds right you're getting paid the actual odds that it is to hit or miss uh depending on if you're on the do or the don't um uh it 
the, what keep what keeps the house edge is your your bet on the pass line or the don't pass right that is where the house edge comes you can minimize that now you're exposing a little bit more money but you can minimize that house edge by taking those odds because the odds are paid are are paid at at perfect odds right the um yeah um if you like there's really great websites wizardofodds.com is a really great website gambling with an edge is a really good podcast now they talk about advantage play but they still talk about smart gambling and it's good to listen to even if you're not an ap um and you know just do a little research on the games you want to play it's really easy to find you know uh material on what the more what the optimal way to play is so like even three card poker has an optimal strategy right there is uh you get three cards and you choose like you you put an anti bet you get three cards and then you then you either match your bet to say you want to play or you fold there's actually an optimal way to play that right there's a certain three cards that's sort of the threshold of whether you should fold or play right so every every game especially when there's cards and decisions to be made has an optimal way of playing the crafts table right has uh bets that have low house edges and they have bets that have high house edges right understanding what has a low house edge um and if you want to do any of this stuff to maybe get something back from the casino I recommend a book called Comp City by Max Rubin. It was it was written back. Uh, it's it's a few two or three decades old, but the principles still apply on sort of how you conduct yourself at a table and how you work it to uh, maybe get more out of the casino versus like versus what you're actually betting. And you just apply these you know apply these principles to being at a table and. Uh, you play low low house edge games. You find ways to sort of stretch your time, stretch your your dollar there. Uh, and in my opinion, tip your dealers because they're hardworking. And uh, it's a good time for everybody. And hopefully you're getting enough back from the casino that's all worthwhile. When it comes to everything you've expanded on here with sports betting, table games, do you see any crossover in the skills involved in those? Or are they just separate interests that you enjoy for what they are individually? It's really, that's a great question. Uh that's a really that's a really good question. I think hmm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that knowing the house edge uh that side of of uh well let's let's go with um where where you're getting something back from the entity and what you're betting in, right? So you know, DraftKings, BetMGM, that FanDuel, them giving me free bets and stuff like that is not different from the casino giving me free play, free bets, dining dollars, whatever it may be, right? I'm getting something back from the entity in which I'm betting in. Finding the most optimal way to get to get the most out of that freebie uh, has definitely, that definitely has overlap and definitely where my mind sees both of them sort of the same way. Uh, it's a little bit trickier in the casino because most most free bets you get for a table are uh you have to play them on even money bets right so you can't take a five dollar free chip and put it on one number and roulette and most casinos some every casino is different uh so it's not quite like putting a five dollar bet on some 50 to one to hope to hope hope that it wins but um but you know getting something getting something back from either a sports book or a casino and being like okay what's the most optimal way to to uh, to use this, that is definitely where my mind thinks similarly on both sides. I love the focus on just trying to play things optimally wherever the opportunity may be and something totally in a non-financial sense, but I think just optimal for the way you approach what you do. 
the way you've built the community that you have with the better life. There's a reason, I mean, people listening to this can easily tell why so many people listen, engage with you, follow on Twitter. What would you say has been key to building that kind of community? And really, I think the core of it, building out so many of the relationships that you've established along the way. Uh, look, man, I'm, I'm halfway through this um, this du- West Coast style double IPA out of Vanish. It's very it's very tasty. Um, it's hitting at eight and a half percent. I'm starting to feel it a little bit, right? I just I feel that <laughs> I feel a tingling in my brain just a little bit. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'm going to toot my horn just a little bit um, with this answer because I am actually really proud of this. There there are not a lot of people in this community and there's definitely even fewer people that have a platform like i do that can speak to both casino gaming and sports betting uh as intelligent or as at least informed as i can right maybe i'm not the most intelligent sports better uh but i'm definitely informed enough and i know enough on the parts that i do well on that i can speak to it um and in this venn diagram of gambling you know the better life and and more importantly my audience fall you know right in the middle like the, i can tell you that the average person that listens to uh the better life on a weekly basis is someone who likes sports betting but will also go to the dice table with their friends or they like playing blackjack for a few hours while having you know ten dollars on a bet right and for them that ten dollars is, is a big deal right you know that you know that or that they're they're sweating out a little bit that's my average audience. And it's, you know, it's flattering that, uh, that they've sort of come, you know, they've, uh, they've convened on the better life and have sort of, uh, you know, have in- supported it in a way that makes it easy for me to enjoy everything that we've just been talking about. Right. So here's the cherry on top of everything we've already discussed. I didn't get to take all of that stuff that I enjoy, Matt, and I get to talk about it on a podcast I get to make videos. I get to, you know, I get to uh, soon like blogs and stuff like I get to push all that outward and people listen and people are interested in it because they're like me. And this is the like the origination of the better life. It's a different life. We see things a little bit differently. You know, the odds, the you know, we picked up on Al Michaels making those subtle comments years before anybody else did. Right. We picked up on it because it's, you know, it's a different like we think different. and. you know, you realize that you're not alone, not just in betting on sports, right? Everybody has has a friend who bets on sports. But casino gaming, casino gaming is, is a side where not everybody's willing to talk about it. Not everybody's willing to, like, admit that it's something that they do. And here we have this community where we enjoy all of that stuff. We enjoy Vegas, Atlantic City, Biloxi. We enjoy just the casino atmosphere. Uh, and it's been, you know, I came into this community uh, it was, you know, when I, when I came into the community, the recreational gambling community, it was already very established with a lot of, with a lot of Vegas enthusiasts with some pre-established podcasts. Like, uh, you can bet on that cousin Vito, um, uh, travel fanboy, a handful of them. And I've been fortunate enough that as other people have either had to drop off or they're, or, you know, f- you know they start a family, so they can't podcast anymore. The better life has sort of co- has sort of risen in, uh, you know, I get to speak to this better and, um, you know, I get to sort of 
help bring the community. You know, it's my turn, I guess what I'm saying. When I came into the community, I was following it. I was following what everybody else was doing. I was listening to them and stuff like that. And now that's my turn. It's my turn to lead the community, um, you know, encourage people to to be smart gamblers, to encourage them to, as Rufus said, it's not an EV. If you're ha- it's not negative EV. If you're having fun, you need to make sure you're having fun, right? And, and uh, recognizing that you do lose and that, not you know, <laughs> not everybody on Twitter is a winner, right? Stuff like that. And, and you know, trying to be as, as much of a down-to-earth gambler and podcast host that I can be so that way people who listen feel like they're listening to just another member of their community uh, in their earbuds. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if – I think I came back around to answering your question, but uh, I, that's uh, – the better life has been uh, a privilege in that way. I'm glad you're starting to feel some of the effects of that double IPA because of that, you know, just unlock the filter a little bit. And uh, I think it showed some really strong self-awareness and being able to relate to people at the level you do. Again, if somebody's got a $10 bet that they're sweating or if they like to play games, they know aren't going to have edges in their favor, but they still want to do it. You know, sometimes, you know, what's good for the soul can swing right back around and be good for the bankroll in the long term. I think of David Malinsky again with, knowing when to step away from the betting boards and get out to Mount Charleston or go support a mom and pop restaurant or go to, you know, a local concert, you know, find, you know, a local brewery or winery or distillery that the ways that he would kind of just almost make deposits into what he really loved would give him a refreshed perspective when he got back to the betting board. And I think that doing these things that might not have edges might not make money the same way that the sharpest pro better in the world can make money looking at an odd screen still have plenty of value in their own right. And I just want to applaud the way that you really bring that out and make it accessible to so many people. And one thing I would like to build on from your answer, you mentioned video blogging, the way that you put out your content, obviously podcasts as an audio form. You, I've seen you do some live video on Twitter, um, probably on other platforms as well. So some stuff is live, some stuff is recorded, basically just multi-platform, even a lot of, you know, in real life events, you, you cover so many bases the way that you get your content out to people. And I'm wondering, looking forward, where you might see some areas of opportunity to really double down on that front. Storytelling. So uh, if any, back in December, uh, I got to hang out with Gil Alexander for a Thursday. Now, Gil and I, Gil and I are friends, uh, but I, I asked him, I was like, hey, I want to do a video on your NFL Thursday. For people who don't know, Gil hosts two shows on VSIN for two hours in the morning and three hours in the evening. And then on Thursdays, he also records his Megapod. So it is six plus hours of programming every Thursday uh, during the NFL season. And after hanging out with him a couple times on a Thursday and like, fun, and like just being a part of like seeing how exhausted he was and about how much effort he put into it, how prepared and professional he was the whole time. I was like, the story needs to be told. And so he was nice enough. VEASAN, the the D, uh, Circa, they were all nice enough to let me sort of uh, record in their establishments. Um, And we did a video. I did. I I produced a short video on Gil, uh, not only on how busy his Thursdays are, but how this is what he wanted. Right. Like Gil uh, for a lot was a long time podcaster who 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 was given an opportunity with vsin and he's done fantastic with it and i was like this story deserves to be told and i was talking to him uh maybe a few weeks ago when i was in vegas and i was like this this is more this is what the the community needs it's more storytelling we're so caught up in day-to-day 
picks, what's coming up, what's what's just happened. Like we're like we don't think outside of like this two week span of a few days ahead and a week and a half, or a few days behind and a, and a week and a half ahead. Um, but there's some incredible people in this community, right? And not just my community in this sort of in the recreational gambling community, but in the sports betting community, especially. I mean, we have a, we have a seismologist who is who like produces more content than I can even fathom, right? And like like we have uh, federal employees, we have former radio DJs, and they're all uh, they're all doing they're all succeeding in their personal life, and then like overwhelmingly doing well. Uh, when it comes to sports betting, either as a better or just as a content creator. Now, the tricky part is how do you make that stuff interesting, right? There's only you can't make someone staring at a Don Best screen interesting. Um, so my big my challenge to myself over the next year or two is to find these stories, to find the story behind people or the stories that are happening in real time. Um uh, and find a way to bring that through in some medium, right? Video preferred, obviously. But, um, you know, I think that's what this community is missing is the storytelling component that comes with content. And we're, it, it's almost void, right? Like, they did, like it, we're almost void of storytelling and uh, we desperately need it. And, and I'm challenging myself to try to do something with it. I think that's a great way to frame it because when you had me on The Better Life right before Thanksgiving, one of the questions was, what are you thankful for? And I thought I was going to give a slightly outside the box answer by calling out just the great relationships with people who do this and the way that betters have been portrayed, especially well before there was any you know widespread regulation across the country. You get one perception, then you meet a lot of these people and you get a totally different perception. And it's overwhelmingly been positive from my experience. And then I listened to the other people who you had on at the end of that Thanksgiving episode say so many similar things. And yet, to your point, we don't really hear a lot about it unless these are relationships that we just experience firsthand and we don't really record them or get a chance to talk about them in too many platforms. So I think this is going to be you know, a great time moving forward for people who aren't following you already. Um, again, we'll plug this at the end of the conversation, but at The Better Life, it sounds like a lot of good stuff coming up on that front as far as the storytelling is concerned. And Tim, you touched on following Gil around at Circa and the D. And that reminds me, speaking of those two venues, we do have Bet Bash 2 coming up. I know you're not going to be there. Um, okay. I've got a couple questions for you on that front pretty quick. But what are you going to miss the most by not being able to attend Bet Bash 2 in early April? So, I mean, it, it kind of, it's, it's disappointing uh, that I can't be there uh, because... I had so much fun meeting the handful of people that I did at Bet Bash One in Jersey City that I can't imagine doing that again and then meeting more people and having that not be a great time. Um, I really enjoy these people too, right? Like, I, you know, I every five minutes I get a chance to talk to Captain Jack. I enjoy it, right? I, I feel like I'm a um, whether we're talking about sports betting or or whatever else, right? I mean, these are you know, as you mentioned, like you, you learned, you meet these people and you become friends with them. And even if you're just acquaintances or just cordial, you know, these are our people and it's fun to talk to them, not only about sports betting, but about whatever else. Um, I can't imagine anybody going, I can't imagine any recreational or rec plus better going to that uh, event and not coming away a smarter, better. Um, just, 
and you know, I, I'm not I'm not encouraging people to not get a ticket and attend. But even if you just happen to be in Vegas that weekend, just go hang around Circa for a day and see how many of conversations you can like you know stretch your ear, bend your ear to. Right, um, you're gonna be uh, a smarter person. Connections are a huge thing. I have outs because I have connections. I've made good bets because I have connections. I've become a smarter better because of the conversations you can have off air, right? Like, um, you know, Jason Weingarten is a really great example of someone who I, without even realizing, I was like, holy smokes, I'm a smarter better because I interact with this guy. Not just from the, not just from the content that I consume of his, but the times that I get to DM him or talk to him, like I become smarter because there's little, there's little nuggets of information that maybe slide through easier in personal conversation than, and it might hit a filter on air. You know what I mean? Like, and, um, and so, uh, or maybe it's not as obvious or they didn't have enough time to expand on it, whatever it may be. Uh, and so I'm jealous. I won't be at that bash, but uh, to your point, you know why I won't be there. I had uh, previously already a plan to be in Biloxi with a handful of people. Uh, and I made the decision to stick with those plans because, you know, that's to me, that's my community that I'm helping lead, right? Those people, whether they view that, whether they view it that way or not, that's fine. I'm, you know, maybe self-assigning a little bit of that responsibility because I think this community is valuable and I want creators to be represented, represented and, you know, to, you know, be around these people. And, um, and I, you know, as much as similar, same way that I've gotten to know you and other people in the, in the sports betting community, I've really, you know, you go to enough, you sit at a craft table long enough with people, you become friends with them and you kind of look forward to seeing them. You know, when I go to Vegas a couple of times a year, I look forward to seeing the people I haven't seen in, you know, uh, 12, 18 months. So. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I will not be at Bet Bash too, uh, but I can guarantee you that Spanky will announce Bet Bash three, and when that date's announced, I will circle it on my calendar and protect it with my life, and I will be at the following event. And I'm positive that unless it's unless someone sets Circa on fire, it'll. I imagine Derek Stevens will host it again. So. Yeah, fingers crossed on that front. And my second question was going to be what you're most looking forward to and said, I think you spoke to that very well already and very commendable to honor that commitment. And again, you've got a good community going for a reason. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions. There might be a little bit of sacrifice involved. You can't be two places at once, but it seems like you're being very thoughtful about this. And that's really all anybody can ask. I think it's going to continue to move in a very positive direction. Tim, as we wrap this up, uh, geez, we started recording. I told you, over under would be about the what hour and change that we spoke on your podcast a few months ago over cashing with over there so a few quick <laughs> ones here but we'd be remiss not to touch on i think what i can dub the malinsky minute of this conversation you clearly know so much and have so much to share with people when it comes to sports betting casino gaming but beyond any forms of betting and gambling how would you describe any other passions that you enjoy pursuing hmm um uh this is gonna be a, a odd um collection of so I, I enjoy hiking my wife and i very much enjoy hiking we are in the lifelong pursuit of hiking hiking the appalachian trail uh we're hiking it by section it'll take us the better part of a decade to finish it but um we've done i think four states now total to four states and uh, i don't remember how many miles but um 
so we, we're picking at that whenever we can. Uh, podcasting in general has kind of been a hobby of mine for the for I mean ten or twelve years now. I mean, I started podcasting in 2011, I think. Um, I've conceptualized and launched and failed a bunch of podcasts. Some have been great. Some have stopped after three episodes because I realized they weren't any good. Um, I've settled on the better life. It is my one and only podcast, but uh, I still consider myself a hobbyist in podcasting. Um, and uh, I enjoy beer. What else do What else do I enjoy? Uh, travel. You know, it's funny. Two years ago, he had you asked me. Travel probably would have been said first but the pandemic has really shifted my reality on that right like i can't remember the last time i did anything that i considered travel that wasn't like a trip to vegas right and i not that you know vegas isn't travel but like i that's built into other hobbies right i go there for other hobbies but the hobby of traveling is something i haven't done in you know two plus years so um but i'm looking forward to uh it looks like countries and states and stuff are starting to uh you know make it easier for people to travel in and out uh so i'm hoping that this year we'll at least see one more country and plenty of other states anything on the radar as far as travel is concerned that would have no ties to gambling uh a family member is likely gonna get stationed in germany this year uh and so i definitely will find myself i think in germany before the end of the year um this doesn't have to necessarily do with it's not directly uh, connected to gambling, but gambling will occur. Uh, what, on my bucket list is traveling through England via soccer matches, right? So going to a town, taking in the sights of the town, and then that evening going to a soccer match. Um, and that's, I mean, now I cannot tell you like how fulfilling that will be uh, in so many ways. And of course, I'll have action on the match <laughs> that I go to watch. So there is some gambling involved, but even just just seeing that culture, you know, like, you know, if anybody watched the World Cup, they saw everybody, uh, I think the hashtag was like, bring it home or something like that. Like this idea, like that soccer, like, like lives in, in England and, um, you know, take that for whatever it is. But I, the culture there is definitely unique enough to where I would love to see this amazing country with all, this unique, rich history and see it through this sport that they just love, right? And uh, yeah. So kind of some traveling for the sake of traveling, but still plenty of bets to be placed in England and plenty of good beer to be consumed. I would <sighs> put my mortgage on when you're in Germany. So no problem, uh, I guess, compounding those interests when the chance arises to align them. I was in Frankfurt, Germany for for two days. When I was in Algeria, here's a, here's a random story. When I was in Algeria... Um, I, I wanted contacts. I didn't have, I didn't have any, uh, any contacts at the time and I needed to get a new prescription. And so I went to an Algerian doctor cause the lady, the, uh, uh, the nurse at the embassy said that, you know, oh, the local optometrist is fine. And I'm like, okay. So I went, uh, Matt, he brought out this instrument that he had to like press against my eye already. I knew I was like 10 years in the past, uh, on, and then he claimed that he saw lesions in my eye. So then, of course, the Marine Corps is like, well, we're not going to mess around with that. You need to go to see, a, uh, you know, a, a military doctor. So they flew me to Frankfurt for like 36 hours just to go to a doctor. I walk in. He looks at my eyes. He's like, you're fine. Go. <laughs> and the, the, that doctor's appointment probably took 15 minutes. And so 
I spent a night sort of wandering around Frankfurt. And of course, I'm in Germany. I'm going to drink some German beer. So I sit down. I order a beer. I'm a stupid American. I was just like, what? Just give me, give me, some, give me a good beer, right? I didn't know, I didn't know what, that, what to ask for. Uh, Matt, it was, it was like the perfect beer. It's exactly what you think beer should taste like, right? If someone just handed you this amber-colored glass and was like, that's beer, it tasted exactly what that should taste like. Uh, so yeah, I will be drinking my weight in beer probably on a day on a daily basis uh, when I visit that family member in Germany. I love that story for multiple reasons. One, when you say I'll have a beer, it reminds me of every TV show or movie. I always cringe like, oh, I'll have a beer. Like nobody ever orders that way. But Tim Lawson in Frankfurt <laughs> once ordered exactly that way. Yeah. And also, there's the concept of beer flavored beer. I hear some of the traditionalists talking about now. And we're spoiled, I mean, with, a, you know, a big hoppy IPA. And that I think that falls within the realm of what beer should be. But with hazy IPAs or sours or pastry stouts, there's some really good stuff out there. And I am happy to enjoy it myself. But I also think there's something to be said for not losing sight of where it all started. And if you're in such a historic place like that, doing, you know, what's local and fresh there, that kind of time and place just often can't be replicated. And that can be better than, you know, any fancy beer you might get anywhere else in the world. So yes. glad to hear you've got more of that in your future. And yeah. I've got one more batch of kind of Please. rapid fire questions for you. Some recommendations. You've clearly got so much to offer, uh, you know, across so many different walks of life here. But what would you say one or two tips you would have to offer as we close up shop here? One or two tips for up and coming betters to make oh. their processes as optimal as possible in the long run. Yep. So this is what I, uh, I wrote down for these. Uh, I wrote this one down just to make sure I didn't forget it. Do not give in to the FOMO on any game or missed line. This is an easy mistake to make as a new better. It's easy to find out that so-and-so bet a money line at minus 120. You found it at minus 135. You don't care. You don't want to not win this bet with this person who you believe knows what they're talking about. That person may or may not know what they're talking they, they may know what they're talking about. But as you mentioned earlier, Matt, We've all lost a bet before, right? That's not, uh, that's all, that's very possible. Um, and it's really easy to hear so and so say they like X team on the futures market at 20 to 1. And so you take it at 12 to 1 just because you don't want to not be in that experience at the end of the season of, that, of being with, you know what I mean? Like, it's so easy as a new better or even just as an average better uh, to experience the fear of missing out on any game, line, play, whatever it may be. Um, look, I missed Otani the whole season, the whole season. Every time someone talked about how he was that that they played MVP, I was like, "Well, I missed the line on that." Lo and behold, I could have bet it at any point and beat beat the closing line. But but what I what I the reason I didn't and the reason why I wasn't upset about it was because I wasn't letting myself give in to FOMO at the moment, right? I wasn't. I know I missed the missed the best of the number. I didn't know it was going to go as you know the way that it did. and you just have to accept that, uh, you know, you're just going to cheer in those bets with with for the people that you enjoy. And if you missed it, you missed it. The the next day is going to bring a whole other uh, set of lines for you to bet into. That reminds me of the concept that it is cheaper to pass on a winning bet than it is to force the hand on what turns out to be a losing bet. Just thinking standard minus 110 odds. If you don't bet at all, okay, instead of winning $100, you won zero. But if you lay the 110 on the loser you've, you know, you've lost 10 more than you would have won. And even some of these bets, you know, season long futures, you might think, oh, those have big plus money payouts. So that logic doesn't apply. Well, I think we all know if anybody wants to do the math on any futures menu, 
or any market that's not a two-way yes-no kind of market, the house take even higher in those kind of futures. So sometimes it might be tough, but some restraint just to pass when you've missed the best of the number, one of the best things I think somebody can do in the long run. So I thoroughly endorse that answer. And Tim, we weren't able to get too deep. In fact, we didn't touch at all on any gambling movies here. I know that's something else that you can cover really well. Maybe we'll have to do a part two before too long and we can give that some more space. But one recommendation in this first conversation, a gambling movie for betting inclined people listening to this episode. Um, yeah. So the three that the three that I wrote down here, California really? split. Yeah. So California split, uh, which is an older movie. It's about a, it's about a couple of gamblers. It touches on poker, horse racing, and a number of other things. Um, it is probably one of the most accurate and one of the more pure movies on gambling. When I watched it, I was it quickly became one of my favorites immediately, um, and so it's it's good for anybody who enjoys gambling. Uh, Hard Eight is another good one. Um, it doesn't it it the story the story arc doesn't stay on gambling for too long, but it takes place in a in and around a casino, and there's plenty of gambling scenes where I think gamblers will enjoy it. There's a really great scene of Philip Seymour Hoffman playing craps. It's one of my favorite crap scenes in all. Uh, in all movies, so it's worth watching, in my opinion, just for that. Um, and then Owning Mahoney, also a Philip Seymour Hoffman movie, based on a true story of a uh, Canadian banker who embellished a bunch of money uh, from loan accounts that he was managing just so he could feed his gambling addiction. It is a tough movie to watch, but it will... it Any gambler will appreciate it because it will remind you why people get concerned about gambling right it's really easy to like to think about problem gambling as someone who uh makes degenerate bets whatever uh it's a good reminder of what they're talking about when they talk about problem gambling when you know why it's why it's mandatory that they put the number in the tweets and stuff like that this movie represents all that because this guy was out of control and uh it's really well done philip seymour hoffman does a great job in his performance and i definitely recommend it Owning Mahoney, Hard Eight, California Split. I will just give a little bit of a sneak peek next week. I am planning to have Spanky on the show, Talking Bet Bash, California Split, a heavy favorite to come up in that conversation for people who might be able to sneak into Vegas a day or two before Bet Bash kicks off. So we will leave it at that. More info to come next week once we can confirm things with Spanky. But California split might be a part of people who can make it for an unofficial pre-kickoff at Bet Bash. So glad you mentioned that. I haven't seen it yet. And now that gives me even more to look forward to in the near future. Um, Tim, one more recommendation. A beer or brewery that you would like to endorse in the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, or Virginia? Um, yeah, so Adroit Theory uh, is a brewery just west of here. It's actually pretty close to the West Virginia border. It's not far from Hollywood Charlestown for anybody who's been to that casino. Uh, they do IPAs and Russian stouts mostly, and they do them big. Uh, we're talking we're talking big Russian stouts. We're talking like uh, hoppy double IPAs, triple IPAs. Uh, they do big beers and they do them well. Um, that's one of my favorite breweries in the area. Um, you know, you mentioned hazy IPAs earlier. I think hazy IPAs, whether you, whether you like it or hate it, whatever, you know, you can, you don't at me on this, but I think it's the best trend in, in craft beer to date because 
it is the most reliable trend that we've ever seen. If you go to a brewery and you order the New England style IPA or the hazy IPA, you can trust that you're going to enjoy it or at least not dislike it, um, which wasn't always the case for all the trends. Black IPAs weren't great everywhere. IPAs, when they first hit the scene, there was a lot of lot of bad IPAs when IPAs first became a, a thing. Um you know, when stouts became popular, a lot of people did that wrong too, right? It was it was actually kind of tough to find someone that had either, you know, an, an odie or creamy or, or, you know, like a like it was diff- difficult to find stouts that actually had flavor and weren't just like this like bland stout. And so um, I think the hazy IPA movement is uh, whether you love or hate IPAs is uh, one of the one of the best trends to date. And I think that on top of that, when you find good brands like Adroit Theory that I'm recommending here, uh, it's just it'll blow you out of the water how good this beer can be. Adroit Theory with those heavy hitters on brand from the guy who showed up to this recording with a double IPA. And I like the note on Hazy's. When I was getting into craft beer in about 2016, really took it up to the next level. That's when Hazy IPAs were a pretty new phenomenon. And a lot of the old guard was just waiting for it to fade, really didn't like it. No shelf stability, inconsistent from one brewery to another. I think another shout out to Sierra Nevada, not just Pale Ale, the classic staple that they provide, but Hazy Little Thing, one of the first, I think, mass produced, easily available IPAs that has the good shelf life. People really have figured out the style. And to your point, Hazy IPA can often have a lot more ABV than people are used to. But with a lot of the flavor, it's still so smooth and easy drinking that it makes it approachable for just about anybody. So agreed with you there, uh, Tim. I really appreciate all the knowledge on the hops, on the props, on the casino games, the movies, just across the board. Can't wait to do this again before too long. Um, but at this stage, want to make sure to plug your work so people know where they can follow you and find what you're going to be doing in the near future. Twitter, at The Better Life. Also, the name of the podcast, The Better Life. Is there anything else that I'm missing or anything you'd like to add? Uh, yeah, YouTube channels, uh, youtube.com slash The Better Life, as one could guess. And, um, you know, one of the I imagine one of the reasons why you brought up movies is because me and Mark Duvall from You Can Bet on That, about once a month we cover TV and movies uh, that have gambling themes or, or in the casino or in Vegas. We're bringing that to a separate feed. It's going to become a show on its own at the same pace, probably once every three to four weeks. But um, that can be found in Apple Podcasts uh, called Better Viewing with Tim Lawson and Mark Duvall. Uh, that's that's a new little branch off but yeah otherwise uh thank you for tolerating me bringing you into the 90 minute mark of your podcast uh this was a lot of fun it really hasn't felt like 90 minutes i think a lot of listeners will agree so tim once again thank you for the time and insight gonna miss you at bet bash 2 but already hoping to see you at bet bash 3 if not before then for another beer or maybe five beers in person so once again tim cheers cheers goodbye Thanks again to Tim, and thank you for listening. If you found any value in our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to take a quick moment to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. One housekeeping item, if you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, go ahead and sign up for a sportsbook via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges and support this show along the way. You can find a link to that landing page in these show notes. All right, that'll do it for this week. I'll talk to you next week with pro better Spanky to peel back the curtain on Bet Bash 2. By then, we'll be within one month of the party kicking off in downtown Las Vegas. Can't wait for that. But until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, 
and let's be well. Ups and ups and